Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. This week I'm talking about Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, and the guest joining me this time happens to really like Wind Waker, so brought her to talk about it. Who are you? Hey, I am Heffy, and it is my favorite game ever. Yeah, just, just random person I found on the street. <laughs> just hey, you like Wind Waker, don't you? Yeah, I uh, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I was promised food. So who promised you food? You. I don't. I'm gonna have to look at the contract again. Anyway, Wind Waker is your favorite Zelda game. It's not really mine, but it's definitely one of those games that I can kind of appreciate more as time goes on. I already liked it at first, but then just kind of playing the game again in college more recently, I was like, oh wow, there's a lot of stuff going on that I didn't pick up on before. I won't get into it too much yet, but this is definitely a game that has gotten much more broadly appreciated over the years. Oh yeah, everyone hated the game when it came out. I wouldn't say everyone, but it was very divisive for sure. Yeah, because people wanted Zelda to be grim and gritty and tough. And then you get this mm-hmm. really cartoony looking game. Yeah, we had that demo, that very brief demo from the 2000 Space World of like the Ocarina of Time, Link and Ganon, fighting it out. The graphics are ugly as nowadays, but people exploded over it back then. I remember being one of them. And um, that was what they were promised, like, as the GameCube was coming out. That was what GameCube Zelda was going to be. And um, Nintendo didn't like it. They didn't like the style. They thought they'd kind of exhausted their options with the realistic Zelda, so to speak, at the time. That's what, kind of what led to the experimentation. And, of course, the rest is history as to how people reacted to that. It was... It wasn't pretty at first, the reactions. Yeah, I remember my dad warned me that the new Zelda was going to look different, and then I saw it, and I was just like, oh, what is this? Then, like, the second time I saw it, I was like, oh, okay. I was actually really intrigued at first. Like, I mean, I was a kid at the time. I like cartoons. I like Zelda. It's a Zelda that looks see, like a cartoon. It's kind of neat. It looked different, is the thing. Different! Yeah, it, it was different. Like, I mean... When Wind Waker was revealed, I hadn't played Ocarina of Time that much. It was only, like, the space between when it was revealed and when Wind Waker came out. I was like, I should play some more Zelda. And that's when, like, I played a chunk of Ocarina of Time. Like, up to, like, Adult Link, early Adult Link stuff. But, like, yeah. I guess it was kind of like to... What's the word? (laughs) Oh, God, here it is. I'm forgetting words. Uh... Prepare, yes, that is the word. Prepare myself for Wind Waker, this new Zelda game that was coming out. It's kind of funny how divisive the art style was, because I think by sheer number, the Toon Link design is the most prolific of all of them now. I think that can be attributed to the fact that after Wind Waker, he was relegated to very simple, small, short spin-off games, you know, most for the most part. I w- not all of them were, like, spin-offs per se, but, like, they weren't, like, you know, the main console releases anymore. Things like Spirit Tracks, Phantom Hourglass, Minish Cap, Four Swords, the, you know, they're kind of B-tier Zelda games, so yeah. to speak. Though it might be kind of cheating, because while, like, in the Four Swords games, the 
official art portrays him as Toon Link. The sprites are just kind of their own version of Link. They don't really match up with Toon Link that much. Um, weren't those... It still looks like Toon Link to me. Like, weren't those sprites eventually recycled for, like, Minish Cap? I look at it, and I, I don't really see Toon Link. I just see... Like, it's not... It doesn't look Toon Link as much as, like, in the 3D games does. Yeah. It's it's not as evident, of course, because, like, it's very tiny, chibi, over-the-head sprite. Like, Beetle was Beetle, and Tingle was his Wind Waker self, mm-hmm. compared to his Majora's Mask self, in Minish Cap, specifically. Yeah, in the sprite games, it was harder to tell, but then they had 3D games in the DS, like um, Phantom Hourglass, where you see up front, they're trying to do Wind Waker, but... On hardware, that's not really meant for that kind of look. And I will say up front, I hate the way those games look. As, like, the biggest Windmaker fan I know, I think it just <laughs> all over that style so much. I can't even look at it. But um, yeah, that's just me. some of those awkward growing pains. Yeah. Toon Link name didn't actually come out until Smash Brothers Brawl. And now I think it's kind of... It's funny how that's just the shorthand for this art style for a lot of people if they don't refer to it as like the cell shading or anything. Yeah, before then it was like it was always Zelda, like Zelda with a C. <laughs> that's what they called that like that's, subseries, that's the closest I guess. I've seen cell shaded Link to anyone calling Link Zelda because for all the complaints of that happening, I've never actually <laughs> had anyone make that mistake. Yeah, it's it's not as common as people say it is. Like people generally aren't that stupid but um yeah smash brothers is always kind of a codifier for like nintendo franchises in a way like it it codifies what's going to be popular in future games what's going to be referred to or terminology in this instance with toon yeah. link wind waker even though it's not my favorite of the zelda games it's probably the one that like the wait for that game was the most turbulent for me <sighs> Yeah, that was that an interesting like pre-release thing going on because I remember they were really hyping up the um the pre-order disc that came with it, you know, Ocarina of Time oh, yeah. with the Master Quest edition. I got that. I never, I never played it. Yeah, I did too. I got it. <laughs> I didn't play Master Quest until years later because I was a baby and I could not have beaten it. But um, yeah, I think that attracted a lot of people to it for sure. That was that was a good. I just um, remember marketing watching plan. the Wind Waker trailer, and then like all the weird trailers for other GameCube games, and trying to see which ones I recognized. And this weird instruction <laughs> pamphlet that listed like two or three of the locations, and then listed a bunch of other things that made me <laughs> think they were locations of the game, but that wasn't quite it. <laughs> when the GameCube was just a strange system, it was a strange time. I remember. This was back when I was still in elementary, and this was around the time when I realized that I was bad at math class. I was doing really bad at math, so my dad was like, we're not going to get the new Zelda game unless you get better at this better grades. And I was just like... <gasps> <laughs> oh, that's rough. But it, it's it's good motivation, it. isn't it? And then I never actually played the game. <laughs> This was, this was back when I mostly just watched my brother and my dad play games. I didn't actually play games until high school. Oh, what? my god, really? So, like, when you got Wind Waker, you didn't play it for, like, years. Yeah, I mostly just watched just watch it. it because I got stuck in the fortress at the beginning. Like, nowadays I could Aww. do it in, like, maybe 20 minutes. But back then it was just like, what do I do? 
I mean, it was a lot for me too back then, but it was the second game I can remember beating. Like, no, 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 third game I can remember beating. The others are uh, Kirby Superstar and Banjo-Tooie, which are both relatively simple enough for, like, a child of my caliber, I guess. Surprisingly enormous. Oh, it was it was um, huge at the I, time. I played yeah, that like a couple months before Wind Waker, and I was just like, "How do kids? How are kids expected to do this?" <laughs> well, uh, not wonder percenting is part of it, I'm sure. So, one of the big things people talk about in Wind Waker is the the two big things that they didn't like about it. I think you know what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was how you have to sail around to get to island to island, and how late in the game you have to go to all these different spots and get Triforce pieces, and in the Wii U version mm-hmm. of the game, both of these problems were lessened, but I wonder if any of those really bothered you that much the first time around. Um, my first playthrough, no, not too much. Like the sailing, I was I was a surprisingly patient child when it came to video games, and the sailing is kind of neat because like this is kind of reflected later on in Breath of the Wild. This way, you can kind of like wander around the landscape and just see interesting things as you go by, and just go for a pit stop. Like, oh, what's this? There's probably something neat here. I should explore. And I got a lot out of that with Wind Waker for sure. Like all these little outposts or submarines or mini islands. Like, there's always something you can notice, at the very least. With um, the Triforce quest, I remember getting a little impatient as a kid. And future playthroughs, I was like, yeah, this is... this is. Ugh. I wish I could speed this up. <laughs> and currently, I am replaying the original via emulation. And um, I will confess, I'm not at the Triforce quest yet, but I am speeding up the sailing. Well, you're also streaming it. That kind of puts a bit of pressure to make progress. Mm-hmm. I do also think that you get a bit less patient with games as you're an adult, so... Probably. See, I only spent a meaningful amount of time playing the Wii U version, so I don't have as much of a basis for how annoying the sailing could be or how annoying the quest was. Mm. Well, like, in the Wii U version, like, you don't get the quick sail until, like, I think it's after Tower of the Gods, you can go back to Windfall and do the... Auction? You don't get the quick sale period in the original. It I mean, no, exist. I meant, I meant in the Wii U version. Sorry if I misspoke. Uh, uh, you have, I think you have to get like the the third pearl at least, okay. because then you have to go to Windfall Island at night and. So yeah, like you, you probably get a taste of what it's like at the very least. I mean, it stays like that for most of the game. Yeah, but the thing is, I'm I'm a very I'm very goal oriented, and the ocean. For as wide as it is, they kind of they kind of put you in straight lines for the most part for the first half of the game. So you don't have to do a lot of unnecessary exploring. Yeah. Especially since you don't even have a lot of the good items yet. Yeah, that's fair. And like the map is very grid-based. It's very square. Like, go from this line to this line to this line. So, yeah, it is a bit more, like, easier to navigate in that sense. Uh, Triforce Quest, I don't know. It's a trope in games that I kind of like that I rarely see other people like is late in the game between the final dungeon and the penultimate dungeon is just when the story kind of stops and you have to go scramble around the world to do a bunch of things like Chrono Trigger kind of had that uh, 
Final Fantasy VI had that in the World of Ruin. Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga had you collecting the star pieces. In this game, it's the Triforce. Like, I never really had a problem with those sections of games as much, but people generally don't seem to like them. Um, I think with Wind Waker, it's largely due to the sailing. And, the fa- and also the fact that every time you had to go to Tangle and have him read the chart and all that all that stuff. There, there's a lot of, you know, red tape, I guess, in a way. Yeah, that's true. I will say, I I don't really hate it nowadays. I appreciate a lot of things about it, and I think I did when I first played as well, because, yeah, it's kind of a fun world tour in a way. You get ushered to all these little neat locations you might not have seen otherwise, like um, the the little island cabana. I think that's I think that's always a highlight of that, or the ghost ship, stuff like that. I think it is also a remnant of the game being a little rushed towards the end of the development yeah. cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they cut dungeons for sure. That's that's unfortunate to think about. Like, I, It makes me wish they ha- would have had more time, but um, yeah. I have to wonder what they would have been going for. Uh, my guess, uh, completely unfounded, it's just, it's just based off me kind of thinking to myself just now, is my guess is that maybe the ghost ship would have been a bit more fleshed out and the Triforce would have been in there. Oh, that would have been a great dungeon. Oh my god. And because of the series' habit of recycling ideas for later, they just kind of saved the ghost ship for Phantom Hourglass. Yeah, that was their excuse for not putting it into the Wii U version. Like, Aonin was just like, well, we kind of did have those dungeons and parts across, like, Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword, so, um, don't know what to tell you. <laughs> There's, uh, Stovepipe Island, mm-hmm. which you can read about in the Hyrule Historia book. This isn't sponsored by anyway. Uh, but <laughs> that island had a lot of gimmicks that are kind of associated with the Goron mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twilight Princess. Very, like, steam... Not not steampunk per se, but, like, that kind of iron and steel and steam aesthetic. Uh, I think people like to point to the Fire Mountain and the Ice Ring Island as uh, suspects for cut dungeons. I don't know if that's true or not but if that is true then that's just like like two almost in a row ice dungeons having to get cut short yeah yeah um ocarina was like um i the ice cavern was gonna be bigger wasn't it yeah it was gonna be a dungeon Mm -hmm. and i guess you can tell that they designed ganon's castle before they designed everything else yeah yeah you see a lot of like leftover details like the forest temple being wind related and such in this Ganon Tower, they're a little more faithful to what the dungeons actually are, but again, it's just kind of the same dungeon. It's just, uh, quick, here's a few rooms based on the dungeons, now climb a bunch of stairs. Okay. Yeah, not my favorite method of a final dungeon, but it it does the job. Yeah, Ganon's Tower is, looking back, it is definitely, like, they were doing the best they could with yeah, like it's it's obvious they were a little rushed to finish that. One of the remnants of that is apparently in a lot of the late game areas, if you roll up the stairs, like Link does his little rolling animation, the game treats it like a ramp and he goes up without any problem because earlier parts of the game, the stairs just kind of bump him back down. I never noticed that discrepancy. Like, I did see it when I was in my last playthrough, like... Okay, why is it sometimes I can roll up, but other times not? I didn't know that was the reason. Yep, apparently ramps are easier to code, I guess. Yeah, this game 
really like I don't I don't want to give it too much credit because there was Majora's Mask and Link's Awakening before it, but this game really brought personality and characterization more to the forefront of the series. Makes those two games feel a little less like oddballs and more like precursors. Uh, for sure, like yeah, the art style is a large part of that. But um even disregarding that, like the story, I feel like it's one of the most personal stories in terms of like, you know, character in in the series at, at this point. Because, you know, it's it's about family. It's about your grandma and your your little sister, you gotta save her. Like there there's there's personal stakes in it for Link this time instead of him just being, you know well, he does end up a chosen one middle halfway, but like it's after all of this. Like he's already in it for the long haul. Anyway, yeah, he kind of has to prove that he's the chosen one. Yeah, but you get a bit more attached to his, you know, journey, going off of that family aspect. And of course, you have that cut scene at the start where, like, he has to wave goodbye to his grandma, and oh. ugh, yeah, that still gets me. Poor giant-headed grandma. <laughs> she she could just open her jaw and just fit Link's sister in there. <laughs> Not this again. <laughs> Again? I never talked about that. Yeah, you, you brought this up during the stream, I'm pretty sure. Maybe I did, I don't remember, but... <laughs> so, maybe someone else did. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past any of us to bring it up. But, uh, weren't you telling me that the art style is kind of similar to this movie or something? Yes, a, um, a very old Japanese animated film from Toei, who is this big studio at the time. They're kind of the Disney of Japan at the time. They're emulating them in a lot of ways in terms of their style and um, overall direction, but it was a film titled Wanpaku Oji no Orochi Taiji, The Little Prince and the Eight-Headed Dragon. It's a fairy tale based on Japanese mythology and all of that, and the style is like a dead ringer for Wind Waker. Like, all these years, like, I... I have a passing interest in, like, old Japanese animation stuff, and I kind of stumbled across it, and, like, I, I've i seen this before. It's Wind Waker, like, stubby legs in the characters, like, no lines around the characters, just flat colors with some cell shading, and very, very bold color direction, very stylized and abstract character designs. For sure, this is proto-Wind Waker, and as it turns out, very recently I found out that um, one of the key animators on the film went on to do the art direction for Wind Waker, Yoichi Kutabe. Like, he brought that with them. So it turns out I was kind of right. Yeah, I think they might have actually sought him out. I'm not entirely sure about that. Well, from what I hear, like, he was already kind of an industry veteran. And just, like, in words, industry veteran in both animation and games as a character designer and art director. Dark director. Um... And he was with Nintendo for a while, I think. Like, he contributed a lot to Mario games at the time. Like, I think, I think actually he's still doing, like, the main, like, 2D art for the Mario characters. I might be wrong, but he did that for a while. That's, like, that's his style. Like, those classic illustrations of Mario, the Mario characters. I'm pretty sure, anyway. I'm trying to think, uh, this was the Zelda game that kind of introduced Bokoblins which are now mm-hmm. kind of like the mascot enemy. Yeah, they're like they're kind of that classic um fantasy first enemy type that's like a little goblin or something. And it, it's surprising it took that long for Zelda to introduce that. <laughs> As of Breath of the Wild, they're basically the toad of the mm-hmm. Zelda universe. 
Yeah, I think in prior games those would be Octoroks, maybe. Sometimes Deku Scrubs and the N64 ones, maybe, but... um. Yeah, now Octoroks are kind of more niche now. Yeah, I mean, with Sailing on the Sea, you counter them on the sea. So they're not going to be the first enemy you see. They're, like, just marine life. Oh, that reminds me of the giant... The, the, the Krakens. The big Octos, yes, um, have frightened many a child. <laughs> Just suddenly appearing and the changing music, and you get you panic like, oh god, what do I do? I do I'm in the whirlpool now. What? Yeah, I remember the first time. Like I knew about them, but I I didn't really think much of them at the time. But the first time we actually saw one was when my brother was playing the game. It was during the evil storm, and just out of nowhere, giant octo dramatic music. Oh yeah, he just <laughs> perfect timing. He just screams and cries and shuts off the console. <laughs> Aww. And looking back, that was apparently the twelve-eyed one, so that would have been the hardest to fight, even if he knew what to do. Oh yeah, that's right. They come in like different tiers of difficulty, because like you have to hit all the eyes to kill him, basically. And it turns out you can trap yourself into a kraken fight between Windfall Island and Dragon Roost Island at the beginning if you divert <laughs> from the path too much. Oh, rip! Yeah. So you just get to sit back and wait for the Octo to spit you back out. It's actually yeah, a little much. anticlimactic. It just kind of spits you out at the edge of the sector with, like, either missing one heart or missing a fourth of a heart. But either way, it's... Yeah, like, it makes it seem like, oh, this is just, this is just going to be death, isn't it? No, you're, you'll be fine. This is the most dramatic and extra of losing one-fourth of a heart. <laughs> yeah. This game had a lot of interesting things going on with its enemies. It introduced a lot of de- very new types for the series, like the birds. Um, the Deku Babas got a whole revamp. A lot of classic enemies did, and then probably most infamously, the Redeads got a very interesting redesign in this one. Oh, yeah. A lot of people claim these are the scariest ones, and um, I can see where they're coming from. I mean, they might be. Their Their screams are more monstrous, and... Yeah. They have those those faces that are no longer obstructed, and they have, like, even for Wind Waker standards, they have weird body proportions. I mean, like, I think, like, the cartoonishness makes them freakier. And especially because this is a game that you're not expecting something like that in for the first place. Like, on Korea of Time, it's always, it was already a bit more grounded in realism. Well, like I said, even by Wind Waker standards, their proportions are weird. Yeah, even by those standards, you're right. Like, just... Yeah, they go all out, all out with those designs. I think they're great, though. Yeah, they're probably my favorite iteration of them for how horrible they are. <laughs> probably my favorite iterations of the Wizrobe, too. Oh, the Wizrobes are so good. Like, those those were in Majora's Mask as well. Yeah, the, those are the mini-bosses there. But um, the, between that and Wind Waker, those kind of brought this game... The, not, they brought this enemy back into the limelight a bit. They were a classic enemy, and now all of a sudden they're toucan mages. <laughs> it's so bizarre. I love it. They have no reason to be toucans, but it just works. Yeah. And like those spooky voices they do, the hooting and the laughing, it's just like, Woo! it's perfect. Yeah. They, they are one of the all-time greats for me. And the Dark Nuts as well. That's another old old school enemy they brought back and gave a new life and this very interesting, like, canine design. Like, you're not expecting that when you knock their helmet off, but 
It's so cool looking, honestly. Yeah, it makes me wonder what the Twilight Princess ones look like without armor. They just look like photorealistic jackals or something. <laughs> I feel like they might have probably just ended up as, you know, I don't know, Bokoblin or Bulblin or Moblin or one of those, but... One thing that I don't talk about much on the show is that I kind of dabble in hypothetical boss design, and, well, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like a side hobby of mine, and the Wizrobe fight in, like, the Wind Temple, where he just summons more and more monsters and the room just gets more crowded until you finally kill the main Wizrobe, is a, a, a format of boss fight that's really stuck with me for how simple but effective it is yeah like um pt has he he's he's a gm every now and then and i play in some of his campaigns and um he had a boss like that i like immediately recognized it as such like oh this is this is the wizro this is that one wizard from the wind temple yeah i i I, I basically steal boss fights (laughs) but i loved it like i mean we're both zelda fans to begin with but like that's what always been one of my favorite mini bosses too because like it's simple but it's really hectic because he he just keeps them coming and while you're busy taking out one of them or multiple at a time there's another one coming and and he's summoning some enemies that don't really mess around either like dark nuts yeah the music adds to it oh yeah there's some great that's my favorite mid boss theme probably any game if that's even a category (laughs) I really like the mid-boss music. My only problem with it is when I try to listen to it on YouTube. I I guess all the sword slash beats are part of the song because they always add them in after the first loop, and I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did that with the official soundtrack soundtrack releases um, just to, like, reflect. That's that's a big part of the game's soundtrack, the battle themes. Um, The very dynamic musical beats that come with the hits. I always like that a lot, though. It, um, I like it when I'm playing, but I don't like it for easy listening. Yeah, I'm sure there's a rep out there that has just, like, the theme by itself. But um, I do really like that in-game, because it adds this feeling of it being, you know, like an animated film. It, it really captures kind of the feeling of Link being this little boy who has to come into his own, which is kind of how the game begins. It's his birthday. Appropriately enough. But um, I have to say... Like I, I told you, I was going to talk about this. I, I like. I think I like Zelda games better. I tend to prefer it when Link is younger. Like, hear me out. Like, when you're adult Link, you 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 feel like the sense of power. Sure, but it's, you still also feel kind of like this, you know, typical classic fantasy hero. But young Link, you like your adventure feels more like you know when you're a kid experiencing the world. You know, all the all the wonders and the terrors of it. Just, you feel small, but it makes it feel your accomplishment so much greater, I think. That's fair. It increases the stakes in a way, I feel. Uh, I don't think I actually have a preference for Lynx. It does make sense, though, because it seems like a lot of your first exposure to Link was in a lot of his young forms, because you even said you didn't get to the adult part of Ocarina of Time during your first playthrough like you got to it and stopped that could be part of it yeah because it was spooky and hard but uh, like my second favorite zelda game and game of all time is also majora's mask and 
that is Childlink. And of all the games or experiences for Childlink to go through of that game, my God, it hits it home even harder. Like, I don't think it'd be as strong if it was Adult Link going through Majora's Mask, you know? Yeah, like, Majora's Mask is my second favorite game also, but also my first favorite Zelda, and it's about Young Link. But then my second favorite Zelda is probably either Minish Cap or Twilight Princess, but Minish Cap, that's an interesting choice. Oh uh, yeah, it was my favorite before I played the 3D ones, but it just it felt like it had a lot of everything. Like it just That's a good game though. It's it's my personal favorite 2D one or top down one I should say. Well, okay, how do we classify Link's Awakening? Is is like he he's, he seems kind of kid like in those. Yeah, I always thought of I always put that in like the kid Link games. It's more evident in the remake for sure. Yeah. But if you look at like the concept art for that game or the promo art, like he looks a bit more like a teenager, I guess. He's got a vague age going on. <laughs> vague age. Uh so going back to music, I read that this was the only 3D Zelda game, well I I guess maybe this is before Breath of the Wild, but those are just remixes. This is the only 3D Zelda game where every boss gets their own music all to themselves. You're right, and I kind of wish future games... Well, no, 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 Twilight Princess did that, too. Oh, no, the the dragon... Oh, no, it did recycle a few, you're right, yeah. It, it, did, it did it part of the way, but um, I do wish the series did that a bit more, varied it up to the, ex- the extent that Wind Waker did. It probably helped that Wind Waker had fewer of those bosses to begin with, but it gave each of them a much more interesting identity. And, of course, it, ble- it blessed us with the Mulgara theme. Yes. Which sounds like Avatar music when I first heard it. <laughs> it it would be at home in that show, yeah. This is the only Zelda game of the 3D ones that didn't have boss subtitles, which is really weird. Yeah, that is a little odd. I don't know how you're supposed to look at the giant plant monster and go, Oh yeah, that's Kalidemos. <laughs> yeah, like... What does that even mean? I did not know it was his name until, until like... I looked it up in my player's guide. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's a giant plant thing. Yeah, that, that's just how you remember them in this game. But um, they have some pretty neat names, like Kaledemos. So it's a shame that you don't get to see them in-game. The plot point is later on, the the bosses of the later two dungeons like personally killed the previous sages, which kind of makes the fights feel a little more personal but now i'm actually mm-hmm. trying to imagine a fat genie ghost killing a fish woman and it's just a lot sillier than it should be with with clown music in the background yeah <laughs> that one in particular it doesn't work quite as well as you know the big sandworm but uh yeah how did he even get in there that sandworm I'm sure Ganon made it work somehow Ganon just had like a moving truck he's just like bosh <laughs> this was the game that blessed us with ganon's beard for the first time yeah even as calamity ganon he still has a beard (laughs) yeah he's had it in every interpretation sense you're right but um this is definitely my favorite ganon design i think it's just at the absolute coolest with the big cloak the big sleeves the, the the dual swords are so cool and he has this like kind of like solemn air about him in a way he seems more wizened he's been through more after ocarina of time you know uh 
I don't like the design as much, but this is definitely one of my favorite personalities of Ganon. Yeah. It's, you see that more in the end. It, it's interesting that he does seem to have reflected upon his motivations and stuff more, but he hasn't reflected enough to actually become a good guy or anything, which nah. I, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> if that makes it better or worse. But. I think it makes it more interesting. Like, that he, he's, you know, thought about to that extent and does feel mixed about it in some ways, I'm sure, but still wants that power. He craves it still. Is there anything else of note to talk about? Um, have we talked about the art enough? Because, <laughs> yeah, I could gush about that all day. I mean... You are an artiste. And I think... I'm not going to exaggerate when I say this game is a big part of why I still am an artist today. Like, playing it at the age that I did, I think I played it at just the right age, you know. And... It wasn't this game alone, like, there was kind of a surge of media at this time that had a very bold, stylized look to it. Like, um, Samurai Jack was running around around the same time. That was a very influential show on me, for sure. Isn't this also around the time, like, some of the Miyazaki movies started coming over here? Yes, it definitely was. Like, Spirited Away was, um, it came to America, I think, a year before Wind Waker came out. Wind Waker has a bit of that Miyazaki energy. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it was like the perfect storm for me of just like creative influences and inspirations. Wind Waker in particular was, you know, as a game, it was experience that I was going through. I could go through these, these environments and soak them in and see these character designs in action. It was just, it was, it was like crack to me <laughs> as like, you know, a little budding artist. And it stuck with me ever since. Like, my art was so Wind Waker influenced after that game came out. It stuck with Masahiro Sakurai, too, because Toon Link's battle entrance animation in Smash Brothers is just a Wind Waker explosion. Yeah, the explosions and the smoke and everything, those were a big selling point, I remember, as far as the visuals went. They're a lot like the ones in Mulan, you know? Oh, yeah. They have that kind of Asian swirliness i don't know i don't know the right term oh, yeah, the asian swirliness i think that's that's, <laughs> that's oh god that's not the right term but just like on salvatore's yeah. chest he's got the asian swirliness going on for him yeah we just <laughs> we just noticed that in our last stream that chest hair oh my god but um yeah even just like i think one of the most vivid things i remember is dragoner's cavern that first dungeon you go through and just, like, this huge range of colors and that one first dungeon. Just these bold reds and the lava caverns, and you have these very cool, almost kind of claustrophobic, but yet cooling blues, calming in a way, in, like, some of the darker segments. And you have this, like, kind of... It's kind of, like, bluish-green in, like, the final boss key room. It's just... And you go on outside at points, I was like, oh my god, that was so cool to me as a kid. And just seeing, like, the blue sky... And when you're in this, like, dungeon mindset, I don't know what it is, but it's like, it was just, oh god, I got started. But, um, yeah, I think that, that, that dungeon in particular has always stood out to me, just for that boom effect with the art style it gives you. So this is the difference between a professional artist and a hobby artist, because I didn't notice any of that, and I, like, I still have to actually, like, force myself to notice that. I was just like, oh, 
we're in the fire dungeon. Here's some fire. <laughs> I think my big takeaway was, first of all, that they just used the Dodongo's Cavern music from Ocarina of Time. Yeah. <laughs> they did, yeah. I, I remember like, that too at the time. Like, oh, this music sounds boring. They just added some like little, those kind of Indian drums behind it. I don't know what they're called. And, Tablas, I think? And then I noticed the outside parts. like, whoa, I'm in a dungeon, but I'm outside. Yeah, but that, it's a dungeon, but I'm still outside. That was the first time a Zelda game did that, I think. At least a 3D one. Uh, probably. Wait, no? Would, I, would Stone Tower count? Uh, Majora's Mask? It's more like some rooms didn't have roofs, I feel like. Yeah. I don't really know. It's, it's a gray area. That place is weird. Yeah. Have you already talked about Majora's Mask on here, by the way? Once a long time ago, but... Like, sometimes sometimes I talk about games again with, like, guests. Like, I got... Like, the first episode is Breath of the Wild. Then, like, a couple months later, I brought my brother back to talk about it again. And then a couple months ago, I did it again with him, because then I finally beat the game. Yeah, so, I mean, if you ever want me on again, you can do Majora's Mask. It's another game I love <laughs> I that I could talk about for hours and hours, although we've only going for, like, 40 minutes at this point, going by this timer. Yeah, yeah. But it you're, feels like hours. You're not Philip. don't worry. He's the one who goes on for hours. <laughs> yeah, then, that sounds like him. And I mean that in the best way possible. I kind of bring it upon myself, though, because I... I, I, I choose games that I can get people to talk about for long periods of time, so it's... It, it, I mean, it's a podcast, it's about talking, why not? Yeah. So, yeah, you really noticed a lot of artistic things for Wind Waker. Like, I, I was thinking, no wonder it's her favorite, because it's, like, the most artistically inclined of them, except for maybe Skyward Sword, because that one was literally based off paintings. Yeah, I do love the look of that game, but not as much as Wind Waker. Yeah. Wind Waker was probably describe it as bold in a lot of ways. Oh, here's the the big thing that I wanted to say about Wind Waker is how it got away from Hyrule technically. Yeah, like you had Majora beforehand, which is entirely new land. To continue that with Wind Waker, I think was something people weren't really expecting. But like about the halfway point, you have that scene where you go under the water and the music kicks in. And you see the castle, and just, I still love that moment. And that reveal that, like, oh god, it was Hyrule all this time. This is the thing my brother makes fun of me for, but when we first got the game, well, it helps that we had to go somewhere that night, so we couldn't really sit down with it anyway. But when we first got the game, I spent the entire first night just reading the entire strategy guide front to back, so I knew everything already. <laughs> my god, that sounds so much like you. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean that, like, it's, 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 it's charming. It's a very PT thing. Like, you're so you're just so curious about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I knew about Hyrule. It, it was kind of lost on me that that was supposed to be a plot twist, even though I still thought uh -oh. Tetra was a plot twist for some reason. I don't know why I'm selectively surprised about things. <laughs> but I thought it was really, like, a little upsetting that apparently Hyrule was destroyed and... Ganon technically won at the beginning, and that they implied there were more than one Link. That was all, like, very new to me at the time. Oh, yeah, this is, um, that was very new to the series, too. And, it's, and I don't think people were really expecting that in such, you know, a whimsical-looking game. 
I think it was made all the stronger because it was such a whimsical looking game in a way. Just that reveal of like, wow, people died. Ganon won. We lost. But now it's time to like win properly. So it's empowering too. Yeah, and then in the end, the king's like, nah, let's let Hyrule stay destroyed. And I was like, what? And now looking back is like, oh, okay, I see what he was going for with that. Yeah, I love that ending. I love that ending. It's bittersweet, but it's hopeful. It's my favorite kind of ending. Especially the way he compares himself to Ganon. It's like, oh. Mm, Yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. It kind of makes me a little upset with Spirit Tracks, but uh, what can you do? Yeah. We got Alfonso out of it. (laughs) He's, He's pretty solid, yeah. I was watching a Let's Play once, and uh, there's this joke where it, it, they got to the scene where the king like, called dibs on the Triforce before Ganon could, and he said, That old Ganon's no match for the king! <laughs> From the CDI Perfect. Perfect. Perfect timing. And I think that's most of what I had to say about Wind Waker, unless you had something else to add. That covers um, most of it for me as well. And when you get to CDI games, there's nothing left to talk about. <laughs> yep, we've reached, we've reached the bottom. I would mention favorite songs from the game, but I feel like we kind of looked at that as we went when they became relevant. Oh, we mentioned Mulgara and the mini-boss theme, but Dragon Roost Island. That is such a banger, still. And I was so happy. To hear that revamped in um, Breath of the Wild, that was such a neat surprise. Oh, yeah. Even even my first playthrough of Breath of the Wild, the one that was kind of cut short because I got bored of it, is like, I, I at least got far enough to hear that, and I was just like, wow. Well, suddenly I'm nine again. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Um, this is an interesting soundtrack in this series as a whole, especially at this point, because it incorporates a lot more different cultural kind of styles to it, especially Celtic. Or is it Celtic? However you pronounce it. But um I think Celtic yeah. is the sports team. <laughs> sure. This is just like they get like a bunch of hockey players dressed as Link or something. We're really out of things to say, so maybe we should just end it now. <laughs> I think we covered the most important stuff, yeah. Alright, so do you have any final words or plugs or Anything you want to say? I want to thank PT for having me, because, like, as soon as he told me that he was considering me for this particular episode, like, I was I was really enthused. This is my first, you know, time being on a podcast at all, and I'm still terrified as I'm talking right now. But I am happy for this opportunity to gush about my favorite game. Um, everybody should listen to this podcast more, because it's fun to listen to PT gush about games with other people who also gush about games. It's um, it's it's a good podcast for gushing. Oh yeah, like that episode where I wondered if Joker from Persona Five could beat Shrek in a fight. Exactly. <laughs> it's that kind of you know childlike enthusiasm that's missing from a lot of gaming, <laughs> gaming podcasts. Well, this is the first time anyone's ever said that about the show. <laughs> All right. Well. I, I guess that kind of covers what I was going to plug. I was just going to say for people to follow the show on Twitter and follow the show on Podcast One's website and app version of itself. 
Uh, thank you all for listening, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, and thank you all for listening. If anyone is, I'm sure people are, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, thank you! Thank you. Okay, obligatory beetle out of the way. See you all next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye! Okay, now, now I'm done. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.